Hello, this is Chris. And this is Andrew, and welcome to the first episode of Video Games Cover to Cover's coverage of the Final Fantasy VII Remake, which I know is a very special episode for Chris, because he's been very excited about this for a really long time. Yeah, you're, you're, you're definitely not wrong. <laughs> that was such an unenthusiastic, yeah, it made it sound like I absolutely, actually super was wrong. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just chill, man. I don't know what to tell you. I, I've been playing Final Fantasy Remake. Uh, let's, uh, first off, uh, I am basically at the very end of Chapter 7. Yeah, I am not nearly that far. I'm in Chapter 4. I, uh, I've i played it a lot. Clearly. I mean, I knew that because you took the day off and specifically so you could play it all day on Friday and all day today. Except I didn't play it all day Friday because I had to run a bunch of errands because, you know. Yeah, th- that was me today. I had to go do a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I had to do a ton of errands and everything like that. So and errands I, are a big adventure in our current world right now. <laughs> But but yeah, so we we started playing uh, the Final Fantasy VII remake, and even though I never really finished or, or really played a lot of the first Final Fantasy VII, it's always been one of those things where I kind of never got around to it, and I because I had kind of I had got to the Final Fantasy game kind of late uh, because Andrew introduced me to Final Fantasy for the first time with Final Fantasy X. Which, again, was an excellent place to start, because ten is amazing. Oh, yeah. Which is why I have it on the Switch now, and I can take it wherever I go, even though that's nowhere now. <laughs> so, but theoretically, if you were going to. <laughs> well, it, what's really nice is I can play it while my wife is, is watching television or something. So, really, like I, I, I think it was a few years after ten, or, or I don't re- exactly remember how long. It was, but there was rumors of a Final Fantasy VII remake. And I was always like, okay, after Andrew got me into Final Fantasy VII, you know, I was looking and I was like, okay, Cloud's Buster Sword is awesome. Uh, Sethoroth is awesome. He's got the Masamune. It's Incorrect. super long. Like, I've always been into, like, swords and stuff. Um, I, I have many, many swords throughout my house. <laughs> uh, very not child-friendly. Are any of them actually sharp, though? I mean, all of them are... Well, see, no. There, so there you go. So, see, so it's that's safe for children. that's a problem, because <laughs> a dull knife is always more dangerous than a sharp one. And that applies to swords as well. Because if you try to cut something with a doll, anything, it's much harder. And not that I have kids to go around cutting stuff. I was going like, to say, uh, if, if they're picking up and running around with your swords trying to cut stuff with it, they're already defeating the point of why you have these swords on display. Well, that's the thing. It's like, because, you know, then there's that, that video online of that kid that's running around a... Uh, the pool. And the, you hear the mom like, what do you have? A knife! No! Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm worried about. That, but with swords. Yeah. Specifically a six-foot sword. I don't think they're going to be picking up the Buster Sword anytime. Of course, as as everybody knows from the last episode, I don't actually have it anymore. I was, ab- I was about to say, that's irrelevant anyway. Yeah. But I still have the Masamune. I also have uh, uh, Ichigo's Bankai Sword, the uh, black one from um, Bleach. 
uh, also because it was super long. I for some reason I had something for like super long swords. <laughs> it's just the 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 sheer ridiculousness of having a sword that's like six feet is just insane. Which is why I always thought Sethroff was so cool because I'm like, this is a dude who just runs around with a with a like eight foot sword or whatever. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's bigger than. At least in the original game, it was definitely more like 10 to 12 feet. It was like twice as big as he was. Yeah, it, it was humongous. And uh, so, so I, I guess to keep a long story relatively short, as soon as I heard about the remake, it was one of those things where, well, I don't need to play Final Fantasy VII because if they're going to do a remake, I obviously want to experience it in updated graphics. So it's one of those things where it's just like I've wanted it for years without really knowing the source material. And... uh be that good or bad, uh, it's just something that I've always been looking forward to. And and I have to say, this game has not disappointed me in any way, shape, or form. I have had an absolute blast playing it because lots of games come out all the time and I get excited for them and I play them. The fact that I've had it for two days now and I'm, I think, halfway through the game, because I don't know how many chapters there are, but I know that the Don Corneo stuff is chapter nine. And that's like halfway through the original story. So I'm thinking I'm about about halfway-ish through through the the new story. I don't know, though. I could be entirely wrong. All I know is I've put a lot of hours into it, and as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to be in a state of eternal depression because I'm going to have to sit here and finish all of this recording before Monday for, for context. We are recording this Saturday night. So I have Sunday to edit everything and get it out there before for Monday. So if this winds up being a really short episode, know that it's because Chris wants to get back to playing the remake. Oh, it won't be a short episode. <laughs> it won't be because I'm not going to let it be because I would be remiss if to to our listeners if I just allowed you to get away with your absolute trashing of Sethoroth. So I've done research. I know for a fact that you're wrong on several points and I just I cannot wait to get into this conversation because I know I know immediately. I know that you're in chapter four and it, there's one thing that Andrew's going to immediately poo-poo is, oh, Sethroth is in this game and it just doesn't make any sense. I hate him so much. I cannot wait to just throw all of that in your face with such passion and vigor that I have to be chill now. Except you're clearly not chill because you're already worked up about this thing that hasn't even happened yet. No, I already know that it's going to happen because you already dumped all over him in the last session, which is why I did research. Because I'm like... Do you want to elaborate on this research? No, I don't want to elaborate on this research. Not until we want to talk about it. Do you want to go into that first or do you want to go into the game first? Which is what we're actually here to talk about. Well, he is part of the game, but I mean, yeah, let's just get started. Let's dive right into the, to the game. So... It starts out, we, we had kind of already covered the demo. A little bit, yeah. Although, one of the things I immediately noticed 
was the real version of it was a little bit extended. I mean, you went through all the same stuff in a gameplay thing, but I think there were a couple flashback sequences that I don't remember seeing in the demo. There, there were. And the, the, and the opening was definitely extended before you actually got off the train. Like, it had a shot of Midgar from the outside. Oh, yeah, it had this whole cinematic opening that it w- was kind of similar to the original. Yeah, it was very similar to the original, but the demo's version of it really only showed you the bit with Ares, but, whereas this one had, like, a whole panorama of a lot of things. Yes. That I thought was very cool. And, and I do. I, I just have to say that the beginning of the game that that opens opening cinematic i was just flooded with excitement and just i i ended up playing it at 12:36 because unfortunately i had to work up until that point and i was basically rushing to get everything done because like i said i had friday off so i was rushing to get everything done to make sure that Nobody would really bother me the next day. <laughs> Even though I didn't really end up playing the game that much. Technically, because I played it from 1236 to about five or six in the morning, if I remember right. So I wow. guess I did play it a lot. Oh, yeah, I was about to I was about to say. I you know, I listen, there's nothing I can do. I don't remember how late I was up. I know I was up until six yesterday today playing it (laughs) oh and then i woke up around noon ish and then started playing it some more so i I, i've been playing it a lot yeah no kidding i mean again we knew that already and the times that i'm not editing this episode i'm going to be playing it some more because it's just i absolutely let's talk about the battle system first i like I do want to say real quick, though, before we do that, I do appreciate how the Don Corneo section is the part that everybody remembers so much from Midgar that it's the point that we've been using as a basis of, yeah, that's chapter nine. So that kind of gives us a hint of where we're going to be at that point. And like, I just love that that's the moment that everybody knows because it stands out so much. Well, so so for me personally, I just knew it was that point because there's there's a decision that you make right away. Uh, and we can kind of talk talk about that when we actually get there. Okay. But the the an answer to your basically when you give Tifa an answer to her question about how you want her to dress dictates what she looks like in the Don Corneo thing. Oh, because I, that's interesting. I immediately have developed this love for Tifa. We all knew that was coming. We we knew that was coming, but she is just. The way she is, is is portrayed in the remake, I I don't necessarily want to say... I don't know how she was really portrayed in the other game as much because I only played it for six hours. But she seemed kind of like... She kind of... From, from my original... From what I kind of know of Final Fantasy, she kind of threw some of... Um, Cloud's attitude back at him, more of like a a Sundere type. I, I I I would say. I don't know if that's necessarily wrong or not, because I don't really have much context of Final Fantasy VII proper. I guess original. The the best way to probably describe her and similar to what happens here, although I think they cranked it up a little bit in the remake. 
maybe even a lot just because they give her more they give everybody more time to be themselves like be characters but which to get out in front is one of the things i really do like about this remake i don't do not want this to sound like i hate this remake i actually a lot most of the stuff i really like wow that i cannot wait that that because based off of our text messages i already just assumed that you absolutely hate the game and the fact that you have to clarify immediately that you like it already suggests that you're going to dump all over it. You opened up implying that I really didn't like it, so I wanted to be clear that actually, for the most part, I actually do really like this game. But but go on. She always had sort of like a protective big sister sort of vibe, where like she would talk to him, but it, like she was worried about him and trying to keep him straight. Like I know what you're getting, and I know you're thinking of something similar there when you talk about. Cinderella or whatever, but I, I I don't think it's quite the same because I don't think she was ever really like mean to him the way that sort of like Cinderella kind of implies. Okay, she was just sort of here's here's part of the problem is I also mentioned watching the Machina abridged, and she is very much a Cinderella in that portrayal. Yeah, no, I in in the base game, she's more like worried about Cloud getting himself hurt and stuff like that, so she's like the big sister mom type. Okay. So, so from a remake perspective, I don't know, or just something about her character is really well. Like they make it a lot more clear, and and these are all things that I think were were already there in the base game, but they expanded on a, a lot for this remake, which is really good. Is like the that protective attitude, or the fact that she's clearly like going out on a limb for Cloud, and he doesn't seem to get that. Yeah. Like, that she's sticking her neck out for him to try to give him these opportunities, and he's blowing her off repeatedly. He He's kind of, like, an aloof idiot, and she's constantly trying to help him out. Yeah, and he just doesn't seem to get that that's what she's doing. There's really just something about her personality that has just been tugging on me. Jesse, as well. Because I also don't want to... I really don't want to downplay the Jesse aspect either, because I have to say, if Jesse... And to a lesser degree, Wedge and Biggs die at the end of this game. I am going to be devastated. Yeah, I was going to say that was actually the next thing I was going to say is they've done a really good job getting you attached to these avalanche people, the the ones that were mostly just briefly there in the in the base game. I mean, Wedge, Biggs, and Jesse, and you know, I guess sort of the extended circle because they're they're. There's a lot more hints that avalanche is much bigger than them that there really weren't so like in the. In the original game, it was never really clear how much of it was just them and whether or not Avalanche was a larger thing, but they definitely make it very clear that it, there is a larger Avalanche organization in this one. Yes, although you don't get that until, I think, near some of the later chapters. At least I didn't really pick up on it immediately. The first time it made it really clear, well, because Jesse talks a lot about her contacts and stuff, in HQ, but for a little bit, it's not clear whether or not that means Avalanche headquarters or like Shinra HQ. But then there's some conversations like when you're in the bar after they have the the meeting for the second day's activity, the one where Barrett comes out and says he doesn't need you and you need to leave. Well, here, here here's okay. I don't want to get too far ahead. But. Let's just talk about the story and talk about these things when we get there. Fair enough. Because we keep going off on these tangents and everything like that, and there's more discussion I want to go into it, and I know you're you're obviously thinking the same thing. So let's just go ahead and talk about yeah, that's fair. The first, first section. So just like before, you know, 
we, we come in on the train. Similar to the demo, Cloud is just a, a total D-bag to everybody. He's like, I... he it, it It's that trope that you had mentioned in our previous episode of, you know, I'm this hard military guy and I don't care about any of you people. This is just a job to me. Yeah. Because he feels like he needs to have that persona to be, you know, himself or whatever. That is one of the things that I want to bring up and I won't spend too much time on it because this is actually a problem I have with the original game too, but I think the remake makes it a little worse just inherently by virtue of having all the super advanced graphics and seeing all these things in a way that you really couldn't. But one thing I do want to say is we know because we understand what cloud is supposed to be that he's like faking it, but the way it is portrayed in the game, it doesn't come off as fake. Cool. It comes off as actually cool. Some of the things he does, like that's not fake. Cool. That's like super action movie hero that you're supposed to root for. You know what I mean? Um, mm, no, I'm not sure. I mean, he he is the main character. You're supposed no, to root for him regardless. I, 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 I get that. What I what I guess what I'm getting at is one of the things, and again, I want to say even the, the, the original game does a bad job of this, but if the game didn't explicitly tell you later that, yeah, this is all fake and Cloud isn't really a cool guy, he's pretending to be a cool guy, there's nothing in the game that would suggest that because he doesn't, he never like does something that would be fake cool. He's always doing actually cool things. That's what I'm getting at. I just I don't wouldn't that inherently just make him a cool guy regardless though. I'm not right. sure what you mean by <laughs> labeling him as the cool guy. Well, so do you well, just I mean, mean that, soldier? No, because I, I mean, wouldn't what, necessarily say that soldier is the he he has this persona of he wants he thinks a cool guy would do all this stuff. Is that what you're trying to say? What I'm saying is like the way. Some of it we'll get into when we get to the specific moments that I'm thinking of, so I don't want to skip too far ahead. But again, like, I'm not going to talk about those specific incidents until we get there. But in general, just, you know, like... Well, that's why this whole thing is confusing. Leaping into the air, like, even just in the reactor, you know, the leaping into the air, like, 20 feet and slicing dudes and stuff, which is very Kingdom Hearts... I mean, it's, it's fine. He's the hero, and I get that. What I'm saying is, like... It's hard to sell him as not actually a cool guy. He's just pretending to be a cool guy when he's doing things like this from the very beginning. Who is going to argue that he isn't a cool guy, though? But he's not supposed to be. That's my point. He's supposed to be pretending to be a cool guy, not actually being one. I don't understand what you mean by pretending to be a cool guy. Because his entire persona is that he was... The important thing to understand about Cloud as a character is he's a loser. But you never, ever see that. It just tells you he's a loser. And it's one of the things that I thought the game always did weekly in the original and again in this one is he never comes off as a loser. You just get told he actually is one because he never accomplished any of the things he wanted to do. But But that hasn't even come up in this game. Right. But that's the problem is it shouldn't be the game shouldn't just have to tell you that it should be something that it can show you. And it doesn't neither the original game or this one seemed to be doing but that. I they're just the making whole him point cool. was he was pretending to be a cool guy but the entire time he actually is a cool guy no the entire point is he's not a cool guy and he because he, he, he has a huge crisis about it and then it becomes him overcoming that and stuff and realizing that he's been a cool guy the entire time and doing cool stuff uh, that's not really see that's not a thing though it's like i mean i guess what we're getting at is that's not in the original game. 
I mean, yeah, okay, maybe when we get to that later, that we'll do something like that. But even so, he shouldn't. There is nothing that has happened in this game that has suggested that he's, uh, other than the Sethroff stuff, that has suggested that he's a loser. But that's the thing. He's supposed to be. That's the problem. But it's impossible for him to be a you d- okay right so that's you're basing I'm saying this that's a problem. off of the original game no i'm saying that was a problem in the original game too because they don't ever portray it they just tell you that well how do you know that they didn't just change it for the remake and, and maybe they will and they decided okay, that that was stupid whether the whole point of them was to he was supposed to actually be a loser and pretending to be a cool guy doesn't matter because the cool stuff that he's constantly doing would suggest that he's been a cool guy the entire time. If they're if if from a game standpoint they're trying to say, oh yeah, he's actually a total and complete loser, then that's super weak. Period. I agree with you, but I don't. I guess my context is I don't understand where that's coming from, and that's definitely not anything that has been said so far. Yeah. Okay. And like maybe they're going to ch- wind up changing that to go in a different direction. Obviously, and we don't know. And that's the whole point of us not talking about stuff that's... that's. I, I don't know how we can do this without talking about the original in some capacity, though. Well, then we have to go back and play the entire original... I have to go back and play the entire original game to have context for all this, then. And that was something that you, you said that we were specifically not going to do because you wanted me to come in fresh. I'll just leave that out there that I find that to be a little bit of an issue, but it was an issue in the original game, too. And we'll just leave it at that. But we don't even know if that's what what I'm getting at is we don't even know if that's what they're getting at with this remake. Okay, and if we get to the point and that's not what they're getting at, then I will stand corrected. But I don't have anything else to base that off of until one way or the other something happens in that front. Well, that's what I'm saying is we're we're skipping ahead to a game that doesn't even exist yet. Okay. There's no way that we can solve that or have an actual discussion on that. The, the the reason I brought it up is because, like I said, it's something that the original game had a problem with, too. So I was pointing out that that cont- seems to also be the case in this one. Assuming that that's what they're going for. Right. And maybe they won't, in which case, let's turn it around. If it turns out they don't, then I will stand corrected. But as of initial impressions so far, it seems like it's having the same problem the original did in that sense. That's all I was saying. And if that's what they were actually going for in the original game, then I 100% agree that that's incredibly, that's an incredibly weak plot point, especially considering this is supposed to be your main character. Why would you make your main character out to be this unbelievable loser? Oh, lots I, well, of things. I mean, I guess Titus, but... I, I was about to say, lots of things do something like that, and they have the character growth and stuff. The, 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 the problem like is... Cloud is also the same thing. He just pretends. But then again, like a guy who's doing all these flips and crazy, you know, leaping 20 feet into the air and stuff in the reactor to fight robots, like that's not a, a loser. So like having this visual like, thing just drives home that it, it doesn't sell what they were going for. Because look at the things he's doing. <laughs> all I can say is so far that Cloud does not seem to be a loser at all. Yeah. If he's supposed to be, then that's dumb. Because that's just not the case. And if he's so stupid to not realize, it's like, oh, you know, f- through the power of pretending, I don't, j- I can't just suddenly do flips off of my house and be able to, to, you know, the, the 10, they, they say that it's, you know, you need 10,000 hours to master yeah. a craft. I'm, 
you know, I'm not just going to immediately pick up a bow and and suddenly be Katniss from Hunger Games. That's not <laughs> realistic. If I was a, a secret savant with archery or whatever, then just being like, oh, well, this guy's just a loser. I'm like, well, yeah, maybe, but archery, he's amazing. Yeah. In literally well, so every other aspect of my life, I'm garbage. But hey, at archery, I'm apparently some secret savant. That is blatantly not true in reality. <laughs> I'm just using that as an example. And the same thing for, for Cloud with apparently picking up a sword that's the size of him. There, There's no way that a loser could pick up that sword. Although later on when you're walking around town and you end up getting a sword from one of the merchants, when you come back later, he's like, oh, yeah everybody's coming in here and buying large swords like you to, to be like the new Merc. And it's like, okay, so if everybody can just wield a sword of this magnitude, then maybe cloud really is just a loser. If everyone on the planet can do super cool flips and stuff, then cloud definitely is just a loser. <laughs> Cause this is, if the base of being a loser is being like super fit and, and carrying around a giant sword, then okay. Checkbox. He's 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 a loser because that's apparently base from this universe. He's a loser in the sense that all the goals he had in his life, he failed to achieve. And that's why he's faking because like cloud in the early game is basically fake it till you make it like that's the slogan that makes the most sense for him. That's what he's doing. But if they don't come back around to him actually be realizing that he was actually a cool guy the entire time, then that just doesn't make any sense is what I'm getting at. After he has a crisis of conscience, if his immediate realization isn't, oh, yeah, I've actually been super cool this whole time, even though I was just pretending to be cool, but I was actually really cool the whole time, then I guess that makes more sense. But if he never comes to the realization that he's actually a cool guy, then, yeah, that makes zero sense at all. Basically, the original game, it more or less comes out as, yeah, I'm a huge dork, but I'm okay with that. And, and that's weird to me because... I I don't understand how anyone would ever be like, oh yeah, that cloud guy is a huge dork. Especially considering like immediately when he starts, I, I I guess we might as well just fast forward to you blow up the reactor. Right. Yeah, we've already talked about that, and there's nothing really new there other than a little bit of a couple flashbacks. We we already kind of talked about it. We already kind of went into it. And anyone who's played the demo, it's literally the very beginning of the game. It's the yeah. first. 20 minutes of the game originally as, as we fully expected because you know just like the original original game it opens with that exact same train pulling up and you jumping off thing the big difference is in this one and we kind of talked about this last time is that shinra very clearly after you blew up the reactor then absolutely went ham and destroyed their own reactor in a massive yes. way to make it seem like avalanche was more successful than what yeah, they, they, they made it very clear rather than leaving it a little more up in the air that or not even up in the air. Like there's basically nothing in the, the re original reactor in the first game that implies that Shinra had anything to do with it. They clearly did it with the later ones, but they did not make they, they didn't establish anything at all to suggest that Shinra did it in the original game. And, and just like in the original game, every once in a while, Cloud gets these headaches and yeah. uh, flashbacks of, you know, 
Setheroff and stuff being there and and immediately yeah. right after you get to see the aftermath of that explosion which was very like that was a part that I really liked in terms of actually like showing you that this is what happened in a way that you did not get to see at all in the original game the fact that we know that this was that this time was Shinra and the impact that it that it actually had definitely makes them like incredibly super evil because us just blowing up the reactor and then Jesse has a a, a crisis of conscience because she's like I they didn't realize done that. Yeah. this was going to happen I th- it this should not have gone down this way I read the bomb and it should have just blown up the reactor not blown up literally everything and she's like well maybe it was just the Mako or something I don't know I felt so bad for her because of how, you know, she was so, I mean, you already feel a little bad for her because she makes a, an offhanded comment about it in the original where she comments that I didn't think the bomb would be that big, which is like the only hint that Shinra might've had something to do with it in the original game. But she talks about it so much because you get to spend so much more time with her and it's like impossible not to feel bad for her because she's clearly like torn up inside that she did something wrong when she really didn't. And I do like, cloud's immediate response to it which was the stoic what are you going to do about it now yeah it's over there's nothing to be done and barrett's like yeah he's right you know we 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 knew what the potential was we knew that there was a potential for this we knew this going into it and that's something else that i really liked was we got to see them have that moment of like questioning their actions and is this really the right thing to do that again wasn't really there at all there's never any doubt portrayed in the original game but in this one they have a lot more time to go was this really the right thing to do and then have them all come to the conclusion that yes in the end this really was the right thing even if it this particular thing wound up turning out worse than we expected and i don't really know that they all are super on board with it no because I mean, even jesse is still saying in in later parts that she's like, I understand that it's necessary for the planet. And it, well, no, so more, it, this was actually Tifa. Once you actually yeah, get hooked gonna, up with her, I she's was like, say that's, I that's understand Tifa. that this is necessary for the planet, but this is not the right way to do it. And I wholeheartedly disagree, or, or I wholeheartedly agree with Tifa on this. Like I was saying in the in the previous episode, one hundred percent avalanche may be portrayed as the good guys, what they're doing is definitely not good. They're trying to stop Shinra, the company as a whole, which is super evil, which I totally get. The problem is the impacts to all the people that are living in Midgar that has to deal with this, with this fallout. And while the bomb definitely would not have had the impact that it did without Shinra, the fact is if they weren't there to go do this and Shinra didn't have proof and recordings of them doing it, they never would have blown up the reactor in the first place to blame it on Avalanche. That's true, but then that also comes back to the idea that, you know, at, at, at that point, that, that's a little bit of nobody should ever fight for things better because the bad guys might make it worse. And that, that that's a valid but like that's that's not really historically true either because that's the that's really historically been the way that things like change happen is people have to do push things and do things that other people might find you know bad or uncomfortable to make it happen while i agree with that 
I do not agree with ultra violence being the solution. I don't like blowing up an entire reactor, even even though it wasn't supposed to do that. They always knew that there was a chance that it could. That is the aspect that I I have disagreement with. That is what chaps me the wrong way because even Barrett is very like, yeah, you know, I'm not sorry at all because it just has to happen. And yes, I agree. They have to save their planet in some way, shape, or form because they wholeheartedly believe that this is destroying the planet and it must change. But going around blowing up factories, it, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm just not on board with that. It's not in the confines in the confines of a game, it's perfectly fine, but the whole point of this podcast is to analyze things like that. And I'm sorry, I just have a problem with that. I, 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 it's really hard for me to see Avalanche as the good guys because they're immediately going towards ultra violence and blowing up reactors and stuff. If they're just fighting against Shinra and they're just using robots or whatever. And Tifa seems like she feels a lot of the same way I do. She's like, there's got to be another way. There absolutely has to be another way. And, and that's one of the biggest reasons why I, I like Tifa way more now than what I did before because she is I agree with her 100% there's there has to be another way to do it there just has to one that doesn't disrupt the lives of hundreds of thousands of people that are living in this giant city Hist- I, all, all I can say about that is that would be nice but again historically disrupting the lives of a bunch of people is the only way things have gotten changed Maybe not to the extreme that happens of a building blowing up or whatever, but like literally the that's the whole point of having big protests and shutting down streets and stuff. That's a much smaller example of if you don't inconvenience people, you never make them care. But a protest is very different from violence is what I'm getting at. Violence only begets more violence. Having a protest is very different than just being ultra-violent. I, I guess I just don't understand... I mean... This is basically like, and we talked, we don't need to go into this too much again, just because we basically had this exact conversation last time. And I don't want to spend a ton of this episode going over the exact same argument, but this is very much like moral absolutism versus moral relativism. And those are both valid schools of thought. And it's just a matter of which one you personally fall into. The, The entire point that I guess I'm trying to get at is Barrett does not care that people are going to get hurt in the process of this bomb. And, and and the fact that he says, okay, well, let's bomb another one. I immediately have a problem with because a ton of people got killed the first time. I mean, as far as Barrett specifically goes, like I even talked about that last time that Barrett as the extreme environmentalist is pretty badly done in general, even in the original game. Cause like I said, there's that bit where he gets super excited about oil and stuff, which makes no sense because like, like, they, he's not the the environmentalism stuff about Barrett it has never been good, even though he's motivated by the right thing of wanting to save the world or whatever. Like Square never really handled that well. It it almost makes it sound like Barrett just hates Shinra for reasons, and because of that, he wants to destroy them. That is that is actually true. You just we never got that far in the main game. If that is actually true, then that basically undermines literally everything that you've been saying this whole time. 
because Barrett is basically just this super D-bag who wants to go around destroying Shinra. That doesn't undermine whether or not Avalanche are the good guys just because Barrett has ulterior motives. You can argue that it undermines Barrett. I never said that Avalanche was not the good guys. Like I said, they're doing... What they are trying to do is for the good of the planet. I guess I'm not sure how how Barrett having another motivation undermines... Like, I'm not sure what part of my I argument you think I have a problem with the way they're doing it, Andrew. Okay. That is the problem I have with it. And if Barrett is just a super D-bag who wants to kill Shinra, then what they're doing is, like, is, is definitely not good. What, what Barrett's particular motivations are don't have anything to do with whether or not what Avalanche is doing is good as a whole. But the right? entire I mean, Avalanche group is coming back and saying, yeah, we have a problem with this. Right. So the entire Avalanche group had a problem with it. So I, like, I'm not sure where you're going with this, because just because Barrett in particular. So what they're what I'm going at is literally everyone but Barrett thinks it's bad and you think it's good. The plan did not involve anybody getting killed, obviously. It wasn't great the way it worked out, even though that wasn't actually their fault, but they don't know that. But they go, and what I specifically even said was good, was we get to see them having that moment of doubt, and was this really the right thing or not that they never touched on in the original game, of them actually trying to understand their actions. But that's what I'm getting at. Because even after, it shouldn't have, they don't know that this was actually Shinra's doing. We, meta- know that this was Shinra's doing. If we didn't know that in the meta of the narrative, I would super not be okay with bombing another reactor. Jesse even openly admits that shouldn't have happened. Right. But it did. And then they're saying, well, let's do it again. And, And then there's the whole arc of her specifically going out of her way to try to make it so that it won't happen again with what she thinks was the problem, because that was never supposed to be how it went, and she doesn't want it to happen again. Or they could just not blow up another reactor and find another way to do it. Disable it in a way. The, like, I, I, how do you disable it without doing fire damage? is a thing in this universe. You can destroy something without explicitly blowing it up. I, I don't know how you think fire would react to something like that, but like that's still going to result in what's Cloud basically Cloud has an a sword that's the size of him. He could just slice open all of the, the ports or whatever, and it would take them weeks to, to get all the parts or whatever to bring it back. There are other ways that they could easily do this. And their immediate response is, well, let's just blow up another one immediately. If, if their, their working assumption is that there was a reaction with the Mako, I'm not sure why you would assume that doing a bunch of other damage in other ways would not also cause some kind of Mako reaction. How, how, would, how would shutting the reactor down with a sword or like openly turning off the reactor first and then destroying the reactor itself when there should be no Mako involved at all because the reactor's not running... If there's no re- if there's no Mako there, then there shouldn't be any reaction. I guess we none of us know enough about the ex- how exactly Mako reactors work to be able to say like what would happen if you did X to. And that's what I'm saying is they should have went back to the drawing board and said we've got to do something else because the amount of people that died in this process, whether they knew it was them or not, they should have went back to the drawing board. And not just immediately went for, well, let's change this one tiny thing, the blasting cap, because a I can tell you a more powerful blasting cap 
is not going to change how large the explosion is, which is exactly why Jesse says that definitely shouldn't have happened. Jesse's right. Unless you have more explosives, you're not going to get a bigger boom. If you have the same amount of explosives, the blasting cap does not matter. I don't think it was the blasting. I don't remember what it was, but I I don't think it was the blasting cap. Pretty sure it was the blasting cap or the blasting agent or something, whatever it was. Which, well, the blasting agent would imply that it would actually make a bigger boom, which is a very different thing. So, so I'll go back and I guess I'll. Well, not, I guess, but regardless, I mean, the point is she's trying to do like, because they also established that she's, you know, a very intelligent person who has like degrees and stuff in her background. So she's like clearly trying to science out what happened and make it not happen again. It's not like she's just blowing it off is what I'm trying to say. Still thinking that her that the their goal is important and needs to happen, but trying to fix it so that it happens in a way that is better. Well, I guess we're we're gonna have to continue this discussion on later episodes because there's information that I have that you just don't yet that I, I, I'm sorry, I just I just don't agree at all that whether the first one was a part of the plan or not. What, what, they they should not have continued to blow up reactors. They just shouldn't have, and that's what I'm trying to get at. As soon as this, as soon as the reaction was, wow, uh, a ton of people just got killed. They definitely should not have done it again. And I'm not saying that they're necessarily bad guys as a result of this, but what they are doing is definitely super bad. I understand that they're doing it for the right reasons, but what they are doing is 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 awful. And they certainly should have gone back to the drawing board and tried it a different way. But so now that we basically rehash that for an entire episode again. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, when we get to the point where I wouldn't have this context, then yeah, we can talk about it and see if anything has changed as far as that so goes. So is it from everybody's just just pro tip, we're gonna have this whole conversation again in the future. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll wait to talk about Seth in general till the end of the podcast. But one thing, because you get that aftermath and because you see how terrible it is, there is the first, during that whole process, there is the, the first, like Seth shows up. Yeah. Yeah. During that aftermath sequence where you're trying to, Again, which is interesting, they made an entire chapter out of what was basically like a one-minute sequence of of the original game of you trying to get to the train. And, and, and as you were saying, I think that's important, though. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't disagree. Like, I, I think that was a very good addition. Like, I, I do think that that was a good place to add more content. I'm not disputing that at all. I absolutely do think that. I guess here, here is your opportunity. What did you think about Sethroff showing up? Well, I mean. Like I said, I had hoped, but I knew that wasn't going to happen. But there has been one time of the moments that I've seen that have involved Sephiroth so far that I thought was well done, and it definitely wasn't this one. <laughs> what what chapter was it? It was um, when you meet Marco. So that would have been chapter three. Okay. We, we, we may get there. I don't know. I, I, I agree that, that that was also well done, but I also, with them extending everything out, I'll save it till the end because it's going to be another argument that people can just decide to to blow through if they really want. Uh, so during that whole destruction scene, you 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 meet Aerith, Aeris, Aerith, 
very briefly, but again, but that was, you know, why do also some people very, call her Aerith? Her original name was Aerith, but it got translated to Aerith in America. Oh, so what is it in the remake? Uh, they never actually said because she didn't give her name. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I guess we wouldn't be there yet. Yeah, at this point, they haven't established which, what her name actually. I want to say they actually did Air. They did the original translation of Aerith. I feel like I saw that, but I don't actually know yet. Well, I guess let's go forward with Aerith since that's apparently her actual name versus Aeris. Uh, and if they change it again later, then I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. We'll figure. Regardless, I mean, they're both the same person, so. Although I guess I can look up a promotional material right now of the game and determine immediately if that's it or not. <laughs> it's Aerith. Okay. So yeah. So Aerith, you 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 meet Aerith and uh she gives you your flower, which I thought was a cool detail because you actually wear the flower. Yeah. And so for several sections of the of of that whole chapter when you're when you're fighting off military guys and everything like that, well, the Shinra company. And and I and I will say, so Shinra has just created this dystopian city where everybody living under there, like they have their own military and everything. That's um weird. I mean, it's very like cyberpunk dystopia, right? Which is part of why Seven is so iconic for a lot of people because that's not really a setting that the series ever really did in any of the other games. Like, I mean, there have been high-tech moments and stuff, but this level of, like, corporate oligarchy and stuff, like, that's 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 part of what makes Seven so iconic to a lot of people, I think, is... And that's part of why I think making focus on Shinra is a better choice than Sephiroth overall, which, again, I know we'll get into later, but, like, because that's really part of what makes Seven unique. But that suggests that the entire game only exists in Midgar. And even in the original game, Midgar was a very small section of the overworld in general. Right. And that's why my position is the further they get away from Shinra, the less interesting the game gets. <laughs> but, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, you already know that I disagree with that because yeah, I know that's what I'm saying. And we could save most of that for, for later, but I was just saying that's part of why I think the Shinra situation is the more interesting part of the game. I, I get that. I just, based off of the, the entire game in general, I don't understand why the first six hours was so enthralling to you that that was way better than the rest of the game in general. I guess that's where my confusion lies. Yeah, okay. I mean... I mean, they, entire, they, did, they decided to focus an entire game on Midgar in general, which, I mean, I guess we'll say something to the fact that, you know, that's one of the things that people people liked about the original i guess i'm just sitting there wondering why six hours of a game was so much better than the rest like that like that's like saying in in the witcher that the that first main city that you get to it's like i like that versus the rest of the entire game because of the stuff with deekstra i mean if you turn it around I guess from the perspective of if the fight with the wild hunt had been the first part of the witcher three would th would you say the same thing about The Witcher 3? Because that's basically how I feel about the Midgar part. It's like it's that part of the game, but at the very beginning. Instead, the, the moment that's like iconic that feels like what everything is about. But that doesn't happen. The Wild Hunt is not... Right, but that's what I'm getting. It's like, it had it done that, then you would be saying the same thing about that. They just didn't do that. Whereas I feel like in 7, 
the, the part that is what matters and what you care about is the beginning instead, and it just gets weaker, which is unfortunate, but it's certainly not the only time that that's happened. I can but name I didn't think that the Wild sh- Hunt stuff got weaker. That's what I'm getting at. The Wild Hunt was I, basically... I, think, I, don't, I don't. Maybe I'm not explaining this very well. The, so, so if you relate it to Final Fantasy, the Wild Hunt is basically just this... Just like Sethoroth, it's just this thing that you're aware of is there because it keeps getting mentioned, but you have no idea what the gravity of what that actually is. See, I, I don't know that I agree with that to the same way. I, I feel like they did a much better job of of building towards the Wild Hunt than, again, the original game. Obviously, we I, I can't speak for the entire remake yet because we're still really early in it, so maybe they will do a better job. Like I said, that... Marco scene that we may or may not get to was a ver- was an example of if there's more like that, then I'm going to be a lot happier with the Sephiroth stuff. I thought that was very good. So so I was saving it until the end, and I kill- still kind of will, but in my opinion, they are. Okay, well then maybe my opinion will change. Relaying it specifically to the Wild Hunt, you really don't know... So yes, you do get an indication that they're the big bad from the very beginning of the game, like... This is immediately the Wild Hunt. So, so, so yeah, okay. Because I, I had completely forgotten that the Wild Hunt showed up at the start of Witcher 3. I had totally forgotten that the Wild Hunt was even involved. Because I'm sitting there like, dude, what are you talking about? I'm on a horse and I... Yeah, there's that sequence where you get chased by them and stuff. I yeah. immediately start looking for Yennefer. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm looking for Yennefer and then she tells me about the Wild Hunt. Yeah. So, so... I, I guess I kind of get what you're what you're getting at. I just don't know how they would have done that unless he was, you know, you have some sort of weird dream sequence with Sethoroth right away. But I feel like if that had happened, you would have immediately been like, oh, this game and Sethoroth. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I, I that, that's sort of what I'm getting at, but not exactly. Because what what I'm trying to say is like, what was for you? What was the most memorable part of The Witcher Three? Just overall, the most memorable part was when Siri, when you thought Siri sacrificed herself. Okay, so what if that had happened at the beginning of the game? Would that not make it the most memorable part? Like, I guess what I'm saying is, does where it positions in the story change whether it's the most memorable part or not? Do you think? I, I yes, I would agree with that. Yes, you think it would be more memorable or no? No, I don't think it would be more memorable because you don't have an impact to Siri yet. Well, but see, that's where I'm saying like, that's why I think that's an issue with the game because the parts that, that do become the most memorable are the first things you do. And that's why I'm like, it it got less memorable and more generic the further you went in. And that's what my issue is because the most memorable stuff should be the things at the end. But the You first, should be building towards that. The first thing that you do in The Witcher is... You have Siri there. You build this relationship with her. Yeah. And then you... And, and and I agree with that. I just feel like if they had totally changed the beginning of the Final Fantasy story in general, I feel like people would have not been super cool with that. I, I, I don't... I guess is what them. I'm getting at. Like, if they I, released I, a I'm demo not... that wasn't the first part of the game, in the, if they had... I, I don't really know how they would have done it better, honestly. Because unless they had some sort of a flashback dream sequence of you, like, killing Sethoroth as Cloud, and then suddenly you're, like, this mercenary or whatever, if they had done something like that, I guess it would make more sense. 
but then they would just be changing the entire game in general. And I think what they were trying to do, I I think it's just the way storytelling worked was different when Final Fantasy VII came out. I see. I don't know that that's that that's true because I think I mean the Sephiroth was clearly the story they wanted to tell. What I'm saying is that's a less interesting story than the story they decided they didn't want to tell instead. That's all I'm trying to say. That the the stuff that happened over here would make for a more interesting story than the story they went with. But it sounds like the only reason why you think that is because it's the very first thing that you did. No, that's not what I was tr- what I was trying to say. What I was getting at was if whether Midgar had been the first thing or the last thing, if it's the most memorable thing, it's the most memorable thing. The fact that it's the beginning doesn't make it the most memorable thing. Where you put it in the story might have some impact in terms of the context you have in it, but the fact that the very first thing was the most memorable thing feels like not great. I mean, like what I'm getting at is because you want the most memorable stuff to be near the end. So when you build something where the beginning is what I remember, and then after that, I it's less and less memorable that starts really strong and gets weaker. It's the same thing I was saying about Final Fantasy 15. When it becomes a corridor slog, I, it's not as interesting. So the problem for me is I didn't play the original game. I know. So I'm, I'm not you expecting found you to have it to... more interesting, but does the rest of the world? I don't know. I, but There's I no mean, way the point for of me to determine that because I haven't played the original. Sure, but that's what, like, I'm just saying, this is how I've always felt about it. I'm not expecting you to be able to say, yes, you're right, or yes, you're wrong, although you seem confident that I'm wrong, which is interesting having not done it. it, it it's not necessarily that you're wrong. I, I, I do feel like, in, 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 in my opinion... I don't really care about Midgar in general. Okay. I and that's love fine. this I... game. I definitely care about the fantasy aspect of of this. And to me, I would much rather go around fighting Sethiroth than fighting Shinra. Okay. And, and that's a perfectly fine... Like, I'm not saying you're wrong to have that opinion. I'm just saying I disagree with it. That I think the, the Shinra side of, of the Final Fantasy VII story and the, the universe is more interesting than the Sephiroth side of it, me personally. And and, and I guess the only re- the only thing that I was trying to get at last time is I was just trying to figure out why you felt that way. And I don't think you ever gave me a solid reason. That's a lot of why it is to me because that's the part that, that stands out. Like what, what makes one, f- from a narrative perspective, what's going to make one stand out over something else is the parts that aren't just like all the others. And by that, I mean, like, what's the part of Final Fantasy X that stands out in the narrative? It's this concept of this religious pilgrimage to go save the world because they all involve saving the world, but doing it in this context of a religious pilgrimage and stuff like that's the part that's unique to Final Fantasy X. And the Shinra stuff is the part that's unique to Final Fantasy VII. And and unlike in 10 where that part carries through to basically the very end of the game when you have the realization that maybe we need to do it differently but it carries the narrative pretty much to the end it very much does not in final fantasy 7 and that's where i get disappointed because they drop the unique elements of the universe and then it goes to this more standard universe because every final fantasy has someone like a sephiroth we can you could argue whether or not sephiroth is the coolest of them and that's and that's a perfectly valid argument to have but i mean like there's a, 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 if it's not sephiroth it's um seymour or kuja in nine which i know you haven't played or like Seifer in eight like there's always someone like that but so that part i mean they can have memorable moments but that's not 
exciting or interesting. The the cyberpunk dystopia of Midgar is the thing that no other Final Fantasy has really done. But that's just one section of the 60-hour game. That's 10% of the game. Right, and that's what I'm saying is that that 10% of the game is the most interesting part, and that's why it's unfortunate to me because we move on from it and then they kind of drop all those things that were unique and interesting about the story. That's I, why I, I guess I'm just going to have to play Final, Seven, Final Fantasy VII in between now and the next time we record because you keep saying it's the most interesting part. And it is to me, and I'm trying to explain that's why it's the most interesting part to me because it's the unique part. But you keep, you, you, I guess you, it doesn't seem like that is a valid reason, and I don't know how else to say it, because that is the reason, because it's unique and interesting. So I get, I get entirely what you're saying, but th- there, I guess, I, I guess I'm just going to have to play it to figure out if there's... And I mean, you may very well come off thinking that, yeah, no, the Sephiroth part's better, and that's a perfectly... Like I said, I, I'm not saying you're wrong, I'm just saying for me, that is the part that I always cared about the most. And found the most interesting and actually and thought that's why I thought the game got less interesting the further it went. Well, I guess so now we talk about Sethoroff because <laughs> I, I don't really know what else to talk about. But Sethoroff, I've done a bunch of research on this. Sethoroff is essentially manipulating Cloud the entire game. Yeah. The entire game, he's manipulating Cloud through the Genova cells inside of Cloud because he is... Or... Or Genova's doing no, it. No, it like is that's not one Genova. Of those. The, the common, and that that is one of the things that I was saying that you're wrong about. I've looked at a lot of different aspects on this, and I've looked at a lot of different information. And when you look at Advent children in general, basically what it, what what's the, the understanding that I have based off of everything that I've seen is that Genova was killed by the Cetras, a.k.a. Aerith's people. Right. Genova is dead and it's just a a husk and it's still like its cells are out there. It's a parasite and its cells are in a bunch of people because that's how they do the whole soldier stuff to make people awesome. Okay. When Sethoroth was killed, he essentially went back into the planet as everyone does. But because he has the will to basically be like, yeah, no, I'm not dead. He merges with Genova and basically just starts manipulating everybody through their Genova cells. And the example of this is Advent Children, where he manipulates that dude into taking a bunch more of Genova cells so he can basically just become that guy. So basically the entire time, Sethoroth is just super manipulating everybody because he has this unbelievable strong will to just be like, no, I'm not going to die and things are going to be my way because realistically people are the parasites and we just need to kill all of them because it doesn't matter if, if Shinra is doing this now, Shinra gets destroyed. Another company immediately starts doing the same thing that Shinra does. People are the problem, which is the realization that Sethroth has come to. Yeah, which is why he does the whole meteor thing. Yes, that's that's very... And I agree with that more than... I mean, that makes me sound super terrible, but that's the I was about to say, I don't know how you could say that and then turn around and say that, like, people accidentally getting killed makes makes you bad. Like, What I'm saying is people are the problem here, so it literally does not matter what Avalanche does or what Shinra does. 
Because at the end of the day, if Shinra's not doing it, someone else is going to do it. Okay, and that's where you get into the differing philosophies of, like, will can there be people who won't do this, or are we inherently the problem? I mean, yeah, that's the inherent conflict at the core of which is kind of what i was getting at when i was saying that sephiroth is like the more evil version of avalanche because he's taking the idea to an even further extreme he would be the more evil version of shin uh, of of shinra because shinra is knowingly destroying the planet sephiroth is knowingly destroying everyone on the planet sephiroth's trying to save the planet by destroying the people so he he's doing the same thing avalanche is doing he just thinks he has to they have to go farther than avalanche does because he he's wants not to save doing the, the same too. thing avalanche is doing avalanche is not unless you're saying avalanche is going out and murdering a bunch of people just no, for the fun of that, it that's why i was saying last time that sephiroth is basically the more extreme more evil version of that because they both have the same motivation of we need to save the planet sephiroth just thinks you have to go a lot farther to do it Okay, so I guess I, I I guess I get it from that aspect, but Shinra is essentially destroying the planet. I, I I would so so I guess he would be the yin to to Shinra's yang. So I mean, yeah, I guess he is a super evil version of Avalanche, but Avalanche is trying to save the planet. Right. Well, I mean, I, but again, I, as as it's distilled, Sephiroth is trying to save the planet too because he thinks that hum- destroying humans is how he does that. But I guess not knowing enough about the other Final Fantasy villains, that is unique. In, in Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy XV and, and, the, and the few Final Fantasies I have played, I've never seen a, a bad guy who is openly basically trying to recruit the main character by manipulating him into becoming his pawn. That's exactly what the trying to marry Yuna thing was about in 10. That's like literally the exact same concept. The only thing that Seymour was trying to do was get the people on his side. He was not trying to get Yuna on his side because he didn't care about what Yuna thought at all. He knew that Yuna would do exactly what he wanted. Sethroff did not know that Clout was going to do exactly what he wanted. That's why he was beating him down the entire time. And that's what I'm getting at. These flashbacks that you're getting of 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 Sethroth. in the original game right before you do the bomb cloud has that headache flash of that yeah like a bomb has gone off or whatever in the movies and you have that ear ringing thing yeah you gets the ear and like the screen goes green and stuff which is how they did the headaches in, and you basically seven, yeah. hear somebody berate him talking about how they'll never love you they're not going to be with you or whatever that's Sethroth. Yeah, the entire time trying to manipulate him from the very beginning of the game. And they just yeah. extended that in this one to include th- flashbacks instead of not just words. And that's why Sethroth has come up so much more often because he's tr- they're, they're trying to build that narrative of Sethroth is trying to beat Cloud down the entire time to basically be like, you have to join me because I'm the only one that's that understands you and understands what you're going through. And I would yeah, argue I don't that, disagree that, with that. In, in itself is unique. I mean, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying as far as like, that's what's going on. Cause yes, I, I mean, that was always the case, but I don't like, like to talk about the several thing, like, What's up with the ghosts, first of all? I guess, have you gotten far enough for that to be a thing yet? I don't know, but I believe they have something to do with that Marcos guy. Because the ghosts look an awful lot like Marcos. He's one of the Sephiroth people. Like, I know that's what he is. The the, the tattoo on his shoulder and stuff, he's one of the Sephiroth. He's He's the replacement for the guy that you meet 
and I know maybe you'll meet the same guy when we get there, but he's the the, the guy that Aerith talked about in the original game that was sick in that tunnel. Okay, yeah. That that's who Marcos is. He's like that guy. I mean, again, maybe maybe there's another equivalent guy that I just haven't seen yet. But and that guy is a one of the Sephiroth like mind controlled people who's also been exposed to the stuff, and that's what the number tattoo symbolizes. Okay. So so yeah, I mean that's exactly what Marcos is, and that's why I thought the part of why I thought the Marcos section was done really well because he has that hallucination because of that connection of oh Marcos is somebody else who has those you know, those cells and it just triggered a reaction and stuff. That's why I thought that was really good. And what the, the best of them, I can tell you that the ghosts have definitely come back recently. Okay. And I, I as we get further in, like, I'm sure that wasn't obviously going to be a nothing. And I, I the, the fact that Eris reacted to them, you know, I'm sure because she's a cetera and stuff like there's, there's obviously some stuff going on there that I'm interested about, but like that bit with Sephiroth, like, putting his hand on Aeris's shoulder and stuff like that, which I know was basically just hallucination stuff from Cloud, but like I, I, I just didn't think that was well well done in the same way that like the Marcos bit was. I thought that was like really heavy handed in a bad way for as early as we are. But I think that's also whether he put his hand on her or not, yeah, I I did think that was kind of stupid. I, I agree with you there. Especially considering everybody knows that Sethoroff kills Aerith. I thought that was incredibly dumb. And like I was secretly hoping the entire time that maybe this version of the game doesn't have you kill Aerith. Well, it doesn't have Sethoroff kill Aerith. I, yeah, because I, mean, I, I do. There are definitely references to Aerith in the original game yeah. in the code files, which is why I have hope that there is a probability to save her. I mean, there was always rumors in the original game, and I've been fully expecting they were going to include that as like a side, like a, a an optional side quest or something to bring her back or to do do all these things to get the good ending sort of situation. I've been fully expecting that that if they were going to make a deviation, it would probably be that. And I am really hoping they do. Which that part I thought was kind of stupid. That was just more. Th- I, I agree with you. I thought that part was very heavy handed. Yeah, like that, that, that's, that's what I meant. Like, the, by comparing that to the Marcos one, I thought the Marcos one was really, really good. And then that, but that first one, I was like, I don't, like, I, I feel like they're really pushing this way too hard, for especially for chapter two. Well, so that wasn't necessarily the first one. The first one was him. When ta- you're just like following him. Was him following him. But even more than that, the first one was inside the reactor because you you got a glimpse of him in that, in oh. that reactor. Okay, I, well, I guess the first time that they interact in any way, I guess is what I was getting at. And I, but you're right, because I was cons- I was still considering the air thing, and that is basically the same encounter since it's very very brief gap between them. But so either the first or second, however you want to look at it. So yes, I mean I I will agree with you. I thought that was heavy handed and stupid. They could have just had the ghost things, and you not really know. I think yeah. they wanted to clearly establish the ghost things had something to do with him. Yeah, but I but even then I think they could have done that without laying it on as much as they did. Especially considering the ghost things showed up. You saw them before you I thought you saw them before you saw her. I I don't remember if it's either before or after. Like uh, but you do see them again in that same section. I th- I wanted to say it was after though because Cloud makes a comment and like you can go running after them. And I do know that they do come up again later. And I think fi- I figured they would, because that was obviously like that was way too much of a thing to throw in here and then just not bring up again. And so I, I, I guess 
if it wasn't done very well in the original game, I do feel like they're doing a better job of establishing Sethroff as the bad guy. You know, as we get further in and we see more encounters, if they do more of them in a way that's more like the one, I will probably be a lot happier with it. But I really have only had those two major encounters at the point I'm at so far, so I don't have anything else to go on yet. I will say right now, they do focus way more on Shinra in general. Yeah, which is, I mean, what they should be for the part of the game they're covering, and that's good. And like I said, if they do more like that, as long as they avoid the super heavy-handed ones, then maybe it will be better, because obviously, by extending out the time as much as they are over multiple games, it definitely gives them a lot more room to do that establishing work that I thought the original game was kind of missing. And, and the biggest disappointment I had in the original game is why did you fight Rufus instead of Sephiroth? You don't actually fight Sephiroth until literally the very end. As for a recurring villain, he's one of the only villains who repeatedly shows up, but you don't actually fight until the absolute final. Boss. And that I think is that I think is incredibly weak because otherwise you fight Genova every time. You saw him. You saw his sword cutting through the president. I, what I want to know is how did he get the sword back? Exactly. Because <laughs> Tifa has the sword at one point. Tifa has, yeah. Tifa picks up the, the sword. In the flashback she does, yeah. Like, where is he? Does he just materialize swords? If that's the case, then he's way cooler than I thought he was. <laughs> if the sword is just a, if it, it just, whenever he reborns himself into a clone, it just happens to include a sword. That's his common equip. <laughs> it's like okay well Sephiroth is super uh, cool then uh, okay back up maybe it's not Sephiroth maybe the Masamune is the thing with the super strong will and he just comes along for the ride yeah okay we're cracking the code the now. sword itself it and the sword is like listen I am sick of people they're terrible <laughs> I've been around for thousands that's the my that's only what goal is. is to stab all the people and I can only do that with you. This sword has been around for thousands upon thousands of years, and it's seen people, it's seen the wars people have, and it's like, I'm done. I'm tired of this crap. <laughs> okay, so this guy is the only one that has been able to wield me up to this point, so I just have to keep cloning him over and over and over. Oh, there's this weird Genova parasite dead thing? Well, that just means that I can infect as many people as I possibly can. Boom, done. The only guy who can wield me it was like, well, wait a second. So the sword has the ability to copy itself. We've already determined that because Tifa picks it up. There is a sword in Shinra's back. The sword has the ability to copy itself. There we go. So they were trying to make sense. all of these Sethiroth clones specifically so that way as many swords as possible could be wielded to, to murder <laughs> as many people as possible. <laughs> We've cracked the code, Chris. That's that's really what it is. And and honestly, that's way more unique than both of them. Right. I was going to say, now we had an angle that's really doing something interesting. If it's like, it was the sword the whole time, I'm like, okay. Well, the sword that's... was always the coolest part of Sethroth. <laughs> now we're, ta we're like doing some Soul Calibur stuff, and I'm okay with that, because that's the only thing I can think of that did that. Yeah. The sword itself is evil the whole time. Yeah, there we go. Boom. Well, I guess evil. It depends on evil, because you could also say that humans in general are evil because they're a parasite destroying well, I mean, the planet. That's literally the cliffhanger question that the, that the original game ends on. And, and, and I would argue that they, they definitely are. I think if you're I mean, smart enough... The game enough, definitely takes the position that it, they aren't, but 
like you don't even get to see that until the post credit scene. It, it like it it's handled in a really interesting way. I think, and this is going to be incredibly philosophical, but if you're smart enough to question whether you may be evil or not, you're already evil. See, uh, that, see, that's where we get into the thought of usually the people who question themselves, the ones who aren't willing to question themselves, are frequently the ones who are evil because they don't take the time to consider whether or not they're doing the right thing, right? Not necessarily because they, most of the time they know that they're doing the wrong thing. They just don't care. At least from, from what I've seen in, in, in typical media adaptations of it. Most people are aware that they're doing the wrong thing. They just don't care. Or they're aware that they're doing evil for the wrong reasons or for the reasons that they believe to to be right, but might not necessarily be right. Yeah, I mean, typically that's usually the way it is. They think they're doing the right thing and are just willing to do evil to do it, right? I mean, typically you're very rarely, and in my opinion, the least interesting type of villains generally, with a couple of exceptions that are sometimes done well, but typically when you have somebody who's just like, yeah, I'm evil, I just love being evil, and that's great, like those usually are the most boring villains. Yeah. I mean, like, just about the only one who can pull that off is the Joker, and even then it's really particular on the particular instance of the Joker, because a lot of times they do him really badly, too. Oh, yeah. I I, I am not going to disagree with you on that one. I think Sethroff is very unique in that way, and, and, and I have kind of a parallel for that. If you think about what is one of the most interesting characters from all of the Matrix movies? Agent Smith? Exactly. Agent Smith actually gets to the point where in the later movies, he's straight up copying himself to because he understands that humans, he is a rogue program that understands that humans are the actual issue. And that if you, the, the planet would be fine if it wasn't for the people. I, I almost think that if Shinra wasn't there, Sethroff would be, very iconic and unique in your opinion, potentially because of that, because he's, he's very much a agent Smith type villain. See, I, I kind of want to disagree in that. I don't think Sephiroth's motivation would make very much sense without Shinra, but I think Shinra could exist just fine without Sephiroth because we, or I mean, or if not Shinra, somebody else doing something similar because the only way to make Sephiroth's position seem reasonable is to already have these, or like reasonable in terms of like, you know, I can see how someone could get to this point to give him more interest than he's just evil for evil's sake is to have this super evil corporation. So in that sense, I get why even with that Shinra would need to exist, even if Sephiroth was always meant to be the point. But I would argue that the reverse, you like you could have Shinra without Sephiroth. You can, but, and, and I want to relate this back to Agent Smith from the Matrix movie, because Agent Smith knows by, by the later movies, whether you like them or not for, for the different yeah. reasons. I mean, the Agent Smith stuff was always the best part of the movies, even when they got less good. And that's <laughs> what I'm saying is yeah. he knows that what's going to happen is that the Matrix is going to be wiped clean. The six humans are going to be spared and they're going to rebuild Zion and it's just going to be a never ending arc of this. 
Agent Smith knows that, and he's specifically going against the grain to not only crash the Matrix as a whole, so the machines... He's basically forcing the machine's hands to kill all of the people and then goes so far as to infect somebody outside of the matrix, which craziness. He basically is the Genova parasite mixed with Sethroth. And that's what I'm saying that makes him unique because if you destroy Shinra, another company, they, they may not have established this, but everybody knows that if you destroy Shinra, Another company is just going to come in behind them and attempt to do the exact same thing, whether it be oil or otherwise, especially because Barrett suddenly gets so happy about oil. We happen to know that that's going to destroy the planet in a completely different way. So another company is going to come in and just start taking advantage of the planet. So if you relate Sethroth back to Agent Smith, he's basically coming to the same realization as... It doesn't matter if Shinra gets destroyed because humans are the problem. I have to destroy them. I have to destroy the root problem, not the current problem is what I'm getting at. I do want to say that's a very good analogy and I'd like to compliment you on that for drawing that parallel because I hadn't thought about that, but that is actually that is an excellent comparison. I do want to give you credit for that. That that is one of the reasons why I, I I feel that I do agree with you that 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 Shinra in general you can have an entire game of just that which is what we have <laughs> so yeah. so yes I I, I just want to sit there I, I the only thing I'm saying is I I don't think Sethroth is necessarily a bad villain in comparison to them he's just different yeah he he is just different and. And then, like I said, I don't think you're wrong for for doing that. I just personally find the Shinra villain more interesting than the Sephiroth villain, as was presented in the original game. And again, with all the extra time they have, maybe I'll come around on that, especially with multiple other games, presumably in the future to play where Shinra will be less and less important and Sephiroth is going to get more and more time to be the focus. So... I'm I'm trying to remain open to the possibility that I'm going to change my opinion on how he's presented in the remake, and that's why I specifically wanted to emphasize like that I really liked that Marco one because that's a positive sign, and I hope there's more like that. Yeah. Um. Because because I I did want to be fair to the game that that one was very well done, and if there's more like that, then I will have to change my opinion that they handled him really well. And if they don't, then it's going to be that's on them. Yeah, his success is really going to be if they just it Sethroth that that'll be disappointing even to me because with everything that Jesse has gone through and everything like her moral quandary with whether they're doing right or wrong, all of that 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 is happening within Jesse has made me just absolutely just fall in love with her character. Yeah, between for between sure. her and Tifa, both of them. Because Jesse's not necessarily saying, well, this is bad, but Jesse's like, okay, that shouldn't have happened. What can I do to make sure it doesn't happen again? If this is the plan and this is what we have to do, then what can I do to mitigate it? I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I want to see. So, so then you can you can take it as like Jesse and Tifa are like both 
borderline on this opinion, but coming to different conclusions of the same thing where Tifa's like, okay, maybe we need to not do this at all. Whereas Jesse's like, no, I think we still need to do this, but we can do it in a way that's going to be better and safer. And what I'm really, and, and I, I have to say what I'm really disappointed in, if it feels kind of sexist to me that none of the boys think that because Biggs just kind of does whatever Barrett says. And Wedge is, is clearly the happy go lucky. Like, I'm just happy to be here type guy. Wedge is the fat sidekick. And I mean, like, he, and I, I say it that way specifically because that's literally like the exact stereotype he falls into. And that really does kind of annoy me a little bit. Exactly. And, and it, because he's constantly talking about being hungry and he's there for comic relief. And like, I'm just really disappointed with what the, like, I like Wedge and Biggs and Jet, like getting to know these characters more, but I'm really disappointed with the way they decided to flesh Wedge out. I really wish that they would flesh either of them out more. Yeah, like with Wedge, I would love to get him more that isn't just a broad stereotype, other than I did like the detail that he's apparently really good at darts, but that was just like one side thing. Which I matched his score. I got a nine, and I thought about doing it again, and I was like, ah, come back. I got an eight. I matched his score, and it still had him above me, and I was annoyed. Which is funny, because it's literally, no, you could do it in seven. You can do it in seven, but you'd have to do an absolute perfect game. Yeah, seven would be the absolute minimum you could do. And I messed up once and got an A, and it still had him in first. And I was like, ugh. Because I'm assuming there's an achievement for it. Yeah. I but knowing so. that. But I don't want to take away the one thing he's apparently good at. All of that. And I do only because I want the achievement for it, because I have to assume <laughs> there is one. I would, I would imagine, yeah. Or some kind of special bonus or something. Like maybe Tifa gives you a prize, something. Yeah. It's just annoying to me knowing that, you know that dartboard isn't going to be there because I know at some point they're going to drop sector seven on the sector seven sloves. Yeah. I know that's coming. Although it shouldn't be till near the very end of the game, but you don't really go back to the bar. No, you won't. Like once you leave that time, you never go back in the original game. So I did keep a save that's like right there just so that way I can go back and try darts again because the way that they actually did the dart game was actually kind of fun to me. It was one of those mini games that I actually yeah. enjoyed. Yeah, the darts weren't bad. It took me a second to get a hang, get the hang of it, but then as soon as I figured it out, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is pretty cool. I like I like the darts. I did too. I I, I kind of I take that back. I think you actually could. I think you could do it in six darts. I think you have the. I think you can mess up once and still get a higher score than him. You you could you could actually do it with six darts. I'm pretty sure because if you hit the triple score on the twenty, you'd get sixty, and that'd be five, and then the one. Because the bullseye isn't actually the highest scoring target. Yeah, it's the triple trip 20s. Yeah. So then, yeah, you could act, six would be the minute, absolute minute best you could do. Well, maybe I'll have to go back and try that again then. As I think about it, I'm like, wait, no, you can do it better. Yeah, you could do it in six. It, it is funny, though, because I've, I, I actually really like darts in general. Yeah, I'm really bad at them in real life, but they're neat. And uh, I, I've watched several of those uh, like pro dart players, and they literally are just like, Trip 20, trip 20, trip 20, trip 20, yeah. trip 20. And I'm like, the accuracy that these that these people have is just insane. It's like seeing the professional, you know, bowlers that always get strikes or the professional pole players who get like every ball in the hole on the break. And I'm like, I don't understand how this is even physically possible. You know what I love to see is professional people doing like trick, stop, trick shots and stuff like professional bowlers. Yeah. Like doing insane things with bowling balls that I'm like physics.exe is like glitching out like there's a glitch in the matrix or something yeah 
no, I, I completely agree. Um, completely unrelated to the game, but I feel like I have to mention, did you know that apparently um, ESPN is going full Ocho with the shutdown so that they have sports to show? And I'm like, that's amazing, and I wish they would just do that all the time. Wait, really? Apparently, yeah. That's what I have heard. Because they always do it on um, 8-8. They always do ESPN Ocho on August 8th in honor of that. And then I think they always close it out with the playing of the movie. But um, yeah, apparently they, they're doing like ESPN Ocho stuff all the time. Like you can watch marble races and stuff like that. That is so cool. And I'm like, that's awesome. And like, if there was an actual ESPN eight, I would be like the only ESPN I would ever watch. Oh yeah. Because that kind of stuff is so cool. Like when I watch I YouTube videos and stuff, a lot of time it's just watching people who are absurdly good at a specific thing. Yeah, it's absolutely. like it, it's just insane. So anyway, I just had to share that because we were talking about that because I agree. I think that stuff's so super cool. Like I find that really neat. And it's just like it's it's just like the Olympics. It's just like the appeal yeah. of the Olympics. It's like these are people who have devoted their lives to this to this thing. They've mastered it and then some. And it's not something you see all the time because it's so many sports that only ever come up during the Olympics. Exactly. And so it is kind of cool to be able to see that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on that. And uh, so I guess getting getting back into it, we kind of got to the the we had the a tangent there, part. yeah. But I feel like it was a necessary. I, I feel like it was an important conversation, I only agree. because I I don't feel like I accurately represented myself last time in just my overall argument in general. Yeah, I think we both did a better job in this episode of kind of making our points. Well, and that's the thing, because both of us had an opportunity to listen to it. To both think of about us it. Had an right. Opportunity exactly. To think about it. I did some additional research because there was just information I just didn't have. When you had yeah. said that, that Genova was controlling well, was, him the entire time. I, I, I've seen, you can argue it either. Like, I've seen arguments for both. And I, I do understand that, yeah, the Sephiroth is, is the one controlling is the, is, is the canon argument. But it's one of those that's like common fan theories that it's more that makes it more interesting potentially depending on how you look at it but but yes i do agree that that is typically the 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 accepted way but and if i tried to imply that it definitely was genova controlling him uh that was that was my bad but because it's it's one of those things that like you, there's arguments for either way well i thought I you actually and explicitly said that last time if, and then i believe if you i said did then that's my time. bad if, if i did that's my bad i was trying to say that there's you could say that or like it could be you can take it either way but yes i do know that the official canon is it's the other way around so are you going to record me some super special awesome apology if 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 that's there like i did i mean i i suppose i i could i <laughs> teach your cat to I, howl well but that's part of why i'm saying it now to clarify too because like i i was not if i conveyed that then that's my bad and i apologize I mean, I was just really hoping for some super special <laughs> cool apology thing, you know, I just wanted it. And, and I do feel like it's important to tell people that I found a, an effect on Adobe that was called robotic B attack. <laughs> and I used it in the making of that. Apology. That is important because I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know it was a thing either. But as soon as I found robotic bee attack, I had to include it. And I mean, understandable. I didn't make it incredibly loud or anything like that. And I definitely didn't have it as much. But the sound effect that I was using was like a wobbly plastic piece. And when you went like to 16, all you hear was like, 
<laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's a little too much. That's too much B. But I needed to make sure that people know that robotic B attack is in there. Okay, that's fantastic. I'm going to have to go back and specifically listen for that. I don't think you'll hear it because of the dog howling, unfortunately. That is unfortunate. I, I, can, I can export that out and just in the background just, of all of uh, your just talking. Include, <laughs> just include a little clip sample at the very end so people know what robotic bee attack sounds like. <laughs> right after. Okay, okay. You know what I'll do? Is is you specifically saying that Genova was was controlling him? I'll <laughs> copy like, that multiple times. Oh, oh! If we ever accidentally swear, you could use that as the oh bee. the robot beat. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so after the uh, where were we? Uh, so I mean, the last thing we really talked about chronologically without jumping around was the. Encounter with Sephiroth and Aerith and the ghosts. Well, pretty much immediately after that, you... You hop on the train after a much longer sequence, which... You I have this admit- insane fight. I, I will say, there is one thing a lot of people online are basically like, the difference between easy and normal is absolutely insane. And I'm like, basically what they're saying is, normal is essentially like super mega ultimate hard mode. At least that's what I'm getting from what people, what some which is specifically which is funny critics have there's an actual about. There's an actual hard mode that apparently you unlock once you beat it. Which, like, I haven't played on easy. I've been playing on normal specifically. Same here. And I do find it challenging in parts, yeah. but I've never, I've definitely had to run in that section. I specifically, I, I'm horrible at blocking, and that is my big problem. I am terrible at blocking when the shock troopers come out i'm essentially screwed and because it was just cloud i was at a point where i was literally running around that giant circle waiting for my atb to charge charge yeah so that way i could use potions yeah i had to do that on multiple occasions when it was just cloud because i'm like oh i'm so screwed but you can save anywhere which is just Except you can only have a maximum of 10 saves, I've noticed. I'm a little disappointed about that. Only because I just like a million saves. Yeah, it's true. You're the guy who, when they offer you 99 save slots, will take all 99 save slots. And it's just just because I like the idea of potentially going back and revisiting a moment. Specifically, like any moments that I enjoyed where I saved right before a conversation with Tifa or Barrett or Jesse, or, or in this case, you know, when I was doing the dart thing, I like the idea that I can go back and revisit a moment without specifically like replaying the game again or going back and uh, watching a YouTube video on it. Because I have definitely gone back and just chilled out with the Witcher and and played some different scenes that I had done before, like battles and stuff that I liked, and and and, and things like that. I like to revisit specific moments, and, and so when games basically give you this limit of you can only have a certain number of saves, I have to really pick and choose those moments, and it really kind of sucks because a lot of times I will go with function as a. Specifically, I'm saving stuff about 
the dart mini game because I really don't know if I'll be able to do it again. And I definitely want to make sure that I'll be able to do it again. So that way I don't have to get to that point just to be able to do the darts because the darts isn't until like chapter two or three. It's it's chapter three, yeah, because that's when you get back to with the, you don't get to sector seven until chapter three. I don't want to have to just play an an hour and a half to two hours of the game just to do the dart section to potentially get an achievement. I don't want to do that because actually that was one of the things I thought was interesting. Although had I was going to say sec sec the chapter three rather is way longer than the first two, but as soon as I said that, I, I was just thinking, well, if you didn't do all the side missions that are available, it's really not. Yeah. It just takes a lot longer if you go out and do all the side stuff, which, of course, I did. I did, too, and that was so awesome because I got to chill out with Tifa all day. And, yeah, it, did, and it was it was so funny to me that everywhere you went, they were like, oh, Tifa, what's up? Hey, dick. <laughs> Although the, I, I really liked how much the conversations changed as you did the side quest, though I thought that was a really cool touch. Oh, especially that weapons guy. Yeah, or in, but even but the other stuff like you know people would just show up and talk, or like the lady who was out there cheering on the number of monsters you've killed, which I thought was really interesting. Oh, that was awesome, Katie. Love Katie. Yeah, Katie. Um, had like a big uh, like a scoreboard that just had like the number of monsters you've killed, and it was really funny. Did you make the numbers? Yes, I did. I got I got all the prizes. I ended up with uh, 55. I had to go back out to a... I had to go back to that factory a couple of times to make the numbers, but I, I ended up with, I think, 55. I got 54, and I didn't have to do anything specific. I just, like, every time it was like, hey, quest complete, do you want to go back? I just walked instead and just got the fights on the way back. Okay, I didn't always do that because I didn't think about that at the time. The only So I was able to hit the I, number just because of that. Like when I fought that one Drake thing, that uh, blue and green Drake thing. Oh yeah, the the one that was its own side quest for the one monster. So that was a surprisingly tough fight. I knew that there wasn't any. See, see, I actually had zero problems with that fight. My biggest thing, and that, actually, this is a good opportunity to talk about the battle system. I think a little bit because overall, it's got a really like the the first example I gave when we were talking about it in text was Kingdom Hearts. But the more I think about it. I feel like it's probably a little more accurate to compare it to like Final Fantasy 15. And, and see, I disagree with you because I hate the battle system in Final Fantasy 15 for one specific reason. And I also hate the battle system in, in in Kingdom Hearts for the exact same reason. The game does not pause when you go into your magic menu. Yeah. I mean, it still doesn't pause in seven, but it slows down a ton. It, so, it, it yeah, slows it down to the point where it might as well be paused. There was one. In fact, there was one section where my wife was watching me play. It was specifically in that in the factory where, you know, some of those things could fly. And I paused the game where, where Tifa was doing her uppercut. Mm -hmm. But it was to a flying monster. So she had jumped like an entire building up, basically all the way to the roof. And you just see her up there like Superman uppercutting this thing in ultra slow motion. And I seriously just sat there for like a minute watching her. And I'm like, just imagine the calves on this woman to be able to fly up to the top of this building and just uppercut this random enemy. I'm like, she's amazing. 
um, actually, that's that's one of the things is in general, I quite like the stuff they've done, and the the use of skills being tied to the ATB makes for a really interesting like decision of when you want to actually do it, as opposed to like other games where you can just like spam your cool stuff. So I really like that. The the one thing I don't like. And it actually is funny because I know I had a very similar complaint about The Witcher is in particular flying enemies are a huge pain because like, at least for me, maybe I just don't understand how to properly do it. But like even locked onto it, it's sometimes Cloud will just swing at nothing and then sometimes he'll actually jump up and do it. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, it's so hit or miss whether or not I can actually hit an enemy when it flies up. Well, you're supposed to move to Barrett. Well, yes, or but when I use a spell during this time, I don't have Barrett, and like, but even with spells, like so many times, you know, if you're not aimed exactly right, the spell will miss, which is one of the things that I guess where I'm at with a lot of this stuff is you don't have quite enough control to reliably make your spells and abilities hit well in those sorts of situations but when you're supposed to lean on them it just kind of makes the fight a little bit frustrating but in general like the combat is very satisfying and enjoyable and one of the things i really do like is that every character plays differently it also depends on are you using operator mode does operator mode better for hitting flying stuff or no operator mode is better for hitting stuff in general yeah, I know Operator Mode does more damage because he, and he moves really slow, but I didn't think it no. gave you like better vertical. Punisher Mode, he moves incredibly slow. Oh, that's the other one. Oh, sorry, I had him backwards. Operator but, yeah, is I what you specifically use. have to move to. The thing, the, the downside... No, 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 no. To, the one you start with is the one that's where he's faster. No. I mean, maybe you can change that, but for me, he always defaults to the, the one where he moves at a much faster speed. Uh, I have literally never changed it, and he's always in Punisher Mode. And Punisher mode is is absolute garbage to me. Yeah, no, I, he never... He, I don't think he's ever once started in that for me. He always starts in the other one. Operator is a thousand times better. The biggest difference between Operator and Punisher is Operator, you can't move fast at all. Yeah, and so no, but so I'm... Whichever one it is, I'm always using the one that gives you better movement. Okay, so that's Punisher mode. Okay. Operator one, mode like said, one is, is speed, yeah. but does less damage. But because you're so much faster, every single instance that I've been in a fight, operator mode just absolutely chews through enemies or staggers them so fast that I can then eat them. Like, absolutely, like, just eat through their health bar. Yeah, the, the way I understood it, the other, the, the, the slow-moving big swings mode is for, like, if you get surrounded by a group or something. Because his swings go like really wide and hit a bunch of stuff, but I, I almost never use That's it. I always use mode, the other but one. I I seriously don't see how it's any slower. I start in Punisher mode, okay, which is the slow moving. You can move around the map one. Operator, you dig in, and you can't move very fast, but you slice things so fast. So you're saying the one where you personally move really slow is better. Where you you swing better. Yes, you just... Okay. Because as soon as you do a dodge, or as soon as you try to get to an enemy faster, you immediately... Like, as soon as you hit dodge, you immediately go out of operator mode and right back into Punisher, and I hate it. Yeah. And that's... I think that's where I was getting confused, because you were saying you were faster, and I'm like, 
no, you're really slow, but you're talking about swinging faster and stuff. You you swing okay. significantly faster, but your movement is significantly slower. It makes more sense then, because that's where I was. I think that's where we were confusing each other. Yes, but operator mode. When I have him in operator mode, and there's a flying enemy, almost every single time he immediately j- flies up, jumps in the air, just like in Kingdom Hearts. Okay, I'll have to try switching to that more often in those situations. Then I. When I am attacking somebody, the very first thing I do in a battle when I'm cloud is immediately switch to operator every time without fail. Oh, see, I almost I almost never use it personally. Operator is so good and and choose through enemies so fast. I am always in operator, always. But like I was like I was saying, I do really like that everybody has sort of their own twist on the mechanics like like, you know, Barrett having the gun and yeah, like you were saying, he's designed for those things, which obviously makes sense because he has the ranged attack. But I like Tifa. I think of all of them, Tifa's made my favorite in terms of just how she feels to play. That's okay. So if you would go into operator mode, that's basically exactly it. Except she still moves way faster. Except but. she moves fast. That's the thing. In operator mode, you attack as fast as Tifa. Yeah. I know. I know. I, I, I tried it. But I just didn't do that with the flying enemies because I'm like, if he can barely move, I don't know how he's going to get up there. So I guess I'll just try that next time. He also, what I do if I'm lazy and I don't feel like dodging to move closer to an enemy, I'll immediately just start attacking and he just jumps. He just like leaps over in operator mode to try and hit whatever it is. Or I'll use an ability while in operator mode to get myself specifically over to the next enemy and then I can attack them more. I The way I play Cloud is I get in operator mode and I try to stay there and I manipulate my skills and stuff if I have the, if I can, to move around the map while I'm attacking people yeah. because operator but, mode is just so much better. But yeah, I really like the way Tifa plays because it just has like a very you know beat em up brawler feel i mean they all kind of have that since you just you know pa- smash uh square to do regular attacks and stuff but tifa just feels very fluid and yeah but maybe i just need to spend more time in operator mode because i just hated that i could barely move and i so i almost never used it what i'm really annoyed with is that you can't specifically walk around the world map as anyone else yeah, you always switch back to cloud, and so that's that's annoying. I agree. That is incredibly annoying to me because realistically, there's no reason why Barrett or Tifa could not. They're standing there with you. I don't know why yeah. you couldn't walk around with them. I, I I almost wish that that's something that they would kind of patch in because if you prefer Tifa's play style, I'd like to be able to just start the fight as her. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing is she is faster, and that's with her. Her uppercut is basically the slow moving thing because you can only use it every once in a while. Yeah, but I, I thought it was really funny, and I started to text you. I like that they all have unique abilities and stuff, and I thought it was really funny because the first thing I thought of was Tifa basically goes Kaioken. What, That's her unique ability. What's even cooler is they all have a unique ability for each weapon they're using, and the more they use it, you permanently get that ability as every other weapon. Yes, but that's not one of them because they all have unique things that have nothing to do with their weapons, too. No, I understand that. Her overcharge? Yeah. Well, he his is called overcharge, but hers is overpower. Hers is um unbridled strength. Yeah, whatever it is. 
And but she like literally get does like the glow like it, it feels very anime because she like does the glow and her hands start glowing and stuff. It's like like all I could think of was like that bit from Naruto where Rock Lee takes off the th- leg bracers and then he's like incredibly fast. See, I very I actually don't I haven't really played as Tifa very much because like I said I'm I'm literally always in operator mode as Cloud because I start as Cloud. Yeah, I almost never do, you too, because yeah, since you always start as Cloud, I almost always use him unless I have a need to switch so to I, someone So I else. haven't noticed her actually doing that, because even yeah, when I do, I almost never use her actual abilities. Yeah, no, I I know, and that's... Because that's, when I'm I, using I agree, the other people, I'm always using spells. Yeah, when I switch, it's because it's you almost always for a particular reason, but the first time I did something as Tifa was because... Like one of the enemies did one of those pin moves on when I was playing as Cloud, so I had to switch to her to use it. And I'm like, I really like her. This is actually really nice. I want to know if you've noticed this yet or not. You don't have to switch to a character just to use their spell. Yeah, I know. You can just push the button if you're just going to do a spell or whatever. But if even but like an at ability, the time, it was you can specifically yeah, tell them to do an ability. You can control them without actually being them. Anything that you can that you use an ATB bar for, you can do. Yes, and that is unbelievably help and that's why i really really like the battle system i like it way more than i like the battle system in 15 and and well significantly more than 15 because 15 was just so there was never a break ever at all and similar to 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 the same reasons why i didn't like the battle system in in kingdom hearts although one of the major reasons why i absolutely hated the battle system in kingdom hearts is if you played a magic character, you're you're basically playing it on hard mode because you have to choose when you're going to heal yourself because the cure takes all your magic takes yeah. all of your magic bar. So I played as a wizard in Kingdom Hearts, which in my opinion is like super ultimate hard mode. Because every single fight I was in, I had to make the decision of I'm not going to heal and I just have to hope that Donald will heal me because I have to be able to use my magic. And I would time it to the point where I would use the magic up until I had the smallest, tiniest sliver and then I would go into cure if I needed it. If I didn't need it, then I wouldn't cure because then my magic would recharge faster. It just, it made the game so so hard because of that and i absolutely hated it and i know that it's like well you could just use a potion or whatever but i really no i agree i didn't like that that i didn't like that particular aspect of of kingdom hearts either i thought that was very annoying i absolutely hated that aspect of it why have people play as a wizard and have that as an option for a main class if cure takes your entire mp bar because that's insane Especially when it doesn't for Donald, because he can just cast spells all willy nilly. At least I never noticed that happening to him because I know that he's, he cured me multiple times in a very short span when you're in rage mode, because whenever you were, not that I want to talk about the battle system of, of kingdom hearts three forever, but I, that there was a, I felt like there was a lot of problems with that battle system. I felt like there was less problems in the Final Fantasy 15 battle system, but I still felt it was just annoying. I love the battle system in the remake. It reminds me 
it reminds me of the battle system that I I grew to love in Final Fantasy X-2, with the exception that you can walk anywhere you want in the map. Yeah, like, I'll admit that I have some nostalgia for, like, the old uh, turn-based stuff that they've been going further and further away from that makes me a little disappointed just because, like, Kingdom Hearts is already the series that they have for that, and, like, I kind of hate that everybody's just kind of made come to the conclusion that turn-based is dumb and boring because I actually really like it, but... For what it is, no, I do agree that the system in 7 is significantly improved over, like, the Kingdom Hearts and 15 systems. Those are just what they remind me most of. Not everybody is doing it, because Persona is still turn-based. Persona 5. Yeah, Persona is, and that's... I I, I really like that. And, like, Dragon Quest is still turn-based, although I were... And I doubt it'll ever change with Dragon Quest, because that's what they basically sell. Dragon Quest is an intentional nostalgia game. Mm-hmm. So, like, Final Fantasy as a whole has very much decided that it basically doesn't ever want to go back to that sort of thing, and that kind of makes me sad, I guess. It's not surprising, because the guy who makes Kingdom Hearts is the same lead designer on Final Fantasy, and until yeah, that I know. changes, and it was, he was probably... the lead designer on He was the lead designer on 15, also, so yeah, that's why they all remind me of having very similar styles. And that's why the in that time, I feel like they fleshed out the battle system to a point where I'm I'm very happy with it. And, and it's still not perfect. I still there's still problems with it. Sure, and I don't know that. I feel like if I was going to pick a Final Fantasy that I feel like had the absolute best battle system, it's ten. I love ten system. Yeah, because there is. I have fire or, or Fyra. I have Kira. I have Kiraga at this point because I, I've done some grinding of material. Well, there. The game gives me the option to do it. I also have like 20 grand now. So one thing I thought was interesting about Materia in general is in a lot of ways, it's still very similar. Although I will say I do love the detail that you can actually see what you've socketed on your stuff, like on their models. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. But one thing I did find very interesting was they got rid of any negative stats for materia. So there's like no decision process to it anymore. Whereas before like, Oh, this makes my magic better, but it makes my physical worse. So maybe I don't want to build a character that's super magic. Now it's just like, Oh, if you want to build a character that's super magic, it literally only ever gives you pluses to things. There's no reason not to. They've sort of done that in the weapon upgrades because you have to pick and choose exactly what you're going to do in your weapon upgrades. And you have to make sacrifices of if I want it to be magic heavy, I'm not going to have enough SP in order to make it also attack heavy. Yeah, but then you kind of have to buy all the ones for the next section to unlock. I mean, not all, all of them, but you have to get like all but one of them. No, you or no, don't. maybe with, oh, that, is that that's based on the weapon level, isn't it? Uh, it's entirely based on the weapon level. Okay, yeah. So that it just ha- so happened that I triggered it around the same time and didn't make that connection. But yeah, okay. So yeah, yeah. So gotcha. And you have the same amount of SP for every single weapon, right? Which is an interesting um, system, which I actually kind of like. I mean, I don't, I don't have an issue with that. I thought that would the add. I really like that because then you can pick and the, choose which weapon you use based off of what you think you're going to need. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. Like, I do like that that's there. Although knowing me, like, I'm not going to switch a weapon until I've mastered its ability. But now that I understand how to master the abilities better, it's never going to be an issue. Oh yeah, although I haven't. I, I haven't really... The only mastered ability that I've done is Cloud. 
<laughs> because oh, yeah. I, those are the only abilities that I ever use, and I mastered it like immediately. Yeah, I I'm, I specifically went out of my way to use the abilities of the character so that I could be like, okay, well, when they get a new weapon, I don't, I'm not going to have to stop and think whether I want to switch or not. And I guess I could do that in those grinding sections because they seem to keep giving you the option of having these little grind se- sessions. Yeah, and uh, in one, I was getting three AP every single time. And I was like, well, I really want Assess to be maxed because I find it annoying that I'd have to use it more than once in a single battle. So I just max that out real quick. The other thing with Materia, you don't get a level one one when you max them out. Yeah, and some of them don't even have multiple level. Like the summons are just, there's one level and that's it. Yeah, although, have you used a summon yet? No, I haven't triggered it yet because I have it. I have it equipped, but it hasn't come up yet. I was literally right at the point where they were specifically talking about, "Hey, you should equip that summon materia cloud." I'm like, I did it literally the second I got it, dude. I suspect it's very similar to like what the more later Final like Final Fantasy 12, where it just becomes a thing that just runs around with you and stuff. From how they described it, yes, that's yeah. exactly it. Does it replace the rest of the party, or do you know? Interesting. Okay, so that's actually your whole party is there, and it just runs around laying waste in the background. Okay, and I'm like, because Ifrit, yeah, because like, because like in Final Fantasy XII, when you did summons, all the other characters would go away, and it would just be the person who did the summon and the summon. Well, yeah, it was the same thing in ten. Well, no, except but you still got that character's turns too, whereas in 10, you only had the summon. Oh, yeah. Okay. I didn't realize that because I played the demo for 12, but I never actually played 12. And because I was going to say, I'm like, this really reminds me of a Final Fantasy demo. I just didn't remember which one it was. Yeah, with 12, it, um, no, you you get the, whoever does the summon, you still control them and they still get turns and stuff too. But the summon is also doing things. Yeah, no, the the summon is there with you the whole time, just doing whatever. That's awesome. Whatever it does, and it it, it is awesome. As I hope I've established, for the most part, I'm actually really enjoying this. I don't, I, I, despite the implication at the beginning, I have ha- I have generally had a very good time, and I absolutely love just exploring Midgar. There was a section I, I took a picture of and sent you, and you were like, I don't understand. You must hate the game if you thought this was funny, but I love that there's a random, that the vending machines have potion being advertised as a brand of energy drink. I thought that was hilarious. I was worried because for the most part implies overall negativity. It basically is saying, yeah, overall, I like the game, but I have a bunch of problems with it. That's when you say for the most part, to me, that implies to me, it implies the opposite of what you're actually getting at. Because if you have to clarify for the for the most part, it's like I'm about to to absolutely dump on this game, but I actually enjoy it. That's what I was worried about, because I was like, dude, there have been so many things that I've laughed at in this game, specifically anything that Barrett says after a battle or anything like that. Or can we stop for a second? I want to point out like one of Barrett's character traits. And this is something that I did notice that I thought was weird. And maybe I just missed it. But in the original game, he swore so much that they replaced it with asterisks. I don't think I've heard him swear at all, but Cloud has sworn. Oh, no. I've heard everybody swear on multiple occasions. Okay. I just missed not have Because I'll admit, I haven't really spent a bunch of time with Barrett in the He basically hasn't been in the party since, for me since the very first mission. So 
Hopefully it'll come up, but I just I, I immediately noticed that because I, I mean, was like, they're not black in, in the in the original game. They were they were implying that he was dropping f bombs all the time, constantly. Which, oh, which yeah. they I I don't think I've once heard in this game. No, but I, I at least so far, and again, I may have ju- I must have just missed it or whatever. I hadn't heard Barrett do any of that. And I was like, that was kind of a, like a, a thing he did constantly. No, Barrett, he I've spent a lot of time with him. And he does a lot of profanity that <laughs> okay. I've noticed. No, I mean, I don't care. No, I don't care either. I just thought it was funny that I had noticed that, like, it just seemed like they just took that away from him. So I'm glad to hear that's still there. Yeah, no, it definitely, it still seems to be a thing. He definitely has a bit of a potty mouth that I've noticed. <laughs> I think that's going to do it for this episode of Video Games Cover to Cover. I can't ask for your predictions since you're significantly farther than we've gotten and I'm farther than we even covered this time. Well, so I think because now it's laid out in chapters, we we have an opportunity to actually say how far we think we're going to get between the next one. Now, I'm obviously mm-hmm. already in chapter 7, but yeah. we we kind of ended it around chapter 2 to 3. I mean, 3 is basically just a ton of side quests. Three is, well, yeah, when you first get back to Sector 7. So we talked about it a little bit, but not really very much. I, I, I really want to do a deep dive into that because it, that, that, that whole section is one of the biggest reasons why I'm like 100% Tifa. And maybe there's, you know, when I'm running around in Wall Market with Aerith, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like, I'm immediately going to change. But <laughs> but that but, that question from Chapter 2 I, I believe it's chapter two, but it's chapter three because it's it's in in the apartments that you don't get till chapter three. But when she asks you what what to, what wear. to wear, that dictates what she wears in that Don Corneo or whatever his name is section. Uh, no, it's Don Corneo. Yeah, and I right. thought that that was awesome. That is cool. What did you choose? And she did. Uh, I went with the sporty thing, and then she's like, "That's really not that much different from what I normally wear, is it?" So did I. And her sporty dress, because obviously I already looked it up. Oh, I, I didn't. But I'm like, I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm like, this is amazing. I am so happy. I, yeah, I had no idea. I was just like, what feels the most Tifa? Sporty. And it, it really does. And, and and you can make sporty formal. You can oh, definitely yeah, sure. do it. And she pulls it off. <laughs> Tifa can pull off anything as far as. Uh, but anyway, yeah, let's, as we were saying, <laughs> that's going to do it for this episode of Video Games Cover to Cover. So next thing, I'm guessing we're probably going to get to through Chapter 4, maybe into the beginning of Chapter 5, since we're really just starting to touch on Chapter 3 and we did an entire episode. Uh, possibly, but I think we also, a lot of that was from the last time. It, it, it is entirely possible that we could get all the way into like to, to 7 territory. Okay. I, I, I would say. I, the thing is, I don't know exactly how long the game is, but I know because chapter three is a lot of side quests, I think it's possible, but I, realistically, we're going to at least get through chapter five, maybe beyond. Yeah. At any rate, that is going to do it for this episode, as I've said for the third time now. As always, you can find us on Twitter at video game C2C or in our email and on our Discord, which we always include a link to as the pinned tweet on our Twitter. And we will put all of our contact info in the episode description, as always. I hate Shinra. Shinra.